right. Welcome to your Wednesday edition. This is Discussions of Truth. I'm your host, Ian Hamilton Trottier. Impeach Mass Media. Do it now. CNN, NBC. I got a question today. What's mass media? What's mass media? What is mass media, America? What is being fed through your boob tube as you flick on your television, as you flick on your radio? Fake news? What is that? Why is that even a term today? Hashtag fake. Why is that even a term that Americans should be worried about? Why does your president use that term? Impeach mass media. Get rid of it. Do the dirty work. Start digging away. Dig for yourself. And in a nutshell, what you need to be concerned about is the banking system that runs your government. You start adding up the numbers, it makes sense. 1913, Woodrow Wilson, something called the Federal Reserve Act. Like I said, my name is Ian Trottier. I broadcast from Winwood Radio every Wednesday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. What a show coming your way today. We're going to open up with Andy Lee Roth, a project called Censored, projectcensored.org. Andy Lee Roth. We're going to segue into deliverance from stupid party land. Stupid party land. Was that Bobby Jindal from Louisiana that used the term stupid party? What was he referring to? I believe it was the Republican Party. Why is it the stupid party? We'll hear from Patrick Anandal. He'll tell us exactly why. He feels that was and is a stupid party. You think politics are stupid? Do you think? Do you think your political system is tainted? On November 21st, we'll be hosting Christopher Fulton, the book I have. And if you're listening either live, if you're listening post-live, iTunes, Google Play, Periscope, Wednesdays, 5 o'clock, The Inheritance. Let me read you a little snippet about The Inheritance here. Okay, What is The Inheritance all about? What is Christopher, Christopher Ritten, who, by the way, has done, he's done time behind bars because he knew a little too much. Mark Shaw has been on the program twice. Mark Shaw, the author of The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, the Dorothy Kilgallen story, that book has now been picked up by the Dowdle Brothers in Hollywood. Fulton is the last survivor of the United States government's ongoing attempt to finalize the suppression of the unsecured evidence from JFK's assassination. Before the government's scheduled 2017 release of JFK documents, Philip Shannon, the recently lauded author of A Cruel and Shocking Act, said the question remains whether President Trump will open the library in full. Every word in every document as the law requires. And my understanding is that he won't without infuriating, infuriate, excuse me, infuriating people at the CIA and elsewhere who are determined to keep at least some of the information secret, especially in documents created in the 1990s. Why is any of that information secret? In a constitutional republic, why is any of that information secret? The inheritance reveals the true intentions of Robert Kennedy and Evelyn Lincoln, as well as Christopher Fulton's secret pact with John F. Kennedy Jr. After reading The Inheritance, 
Dick Russell, author of 13 books. One considered a classic on the JFK assassination, and others written with RFK Jr., said it is the single most compelling piece of evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald did not act alone, that someone else fired the fatal shot from the front, that a conspiracy existed, indeed, that a coup d'etat may have taken place in Dallas. Coup d'etat! Ole Demigard, a couple weeks ago on this program, Discussions of Truth, Talking about his book, as a matter of fact, born in Copenhagen and currently residing in Spain, Ole Demigard, Coup d'etat. That's the title of his book. So, Christopher Fulton will join the program November 21st. And by the way, this year, are we, is it 50? 55 years. 55 years since the JFK assassination. November 22nd marks that date. Christopher will join us November 21st. I'll be right back with our first guest. ImpeachMassMedia.com. You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram. Ian Trottier. I-A-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Get a shirt. I'm wearing it right now. You can see it if you're... Check out Periscope. Great shirts. Donate 50 bucks to the program, to the campaign. Get a shirt. I-A-N... T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R.com. That has a list of all my past guests. And I'll be right back with Andy. Thanks for tuning in. I am back. Thanks for tuning in to your weekly edition, Discussions of Truth, Wednesdays, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard. We have with us a very special guest from Project Censored, Andy Lee Roth. Are you with us, Andy? Yes, glad to join you, Ian. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Andy, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do there at Project Censored. What are you, what are you all about? You've got a list of uh, top 25 list. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, well, you know, right now, the topics of fake news and the notions of propaganda, Russian or otherwise, are hot issues, of course. Um, and Project Censored has been on, on this particular beat, looking at the intersection of news and politics and free speech uh, and rights to expression and censorship for some 42 years. Um, so the project's mission, I, th I like to think of it with a metaphor. The project's mission is kind of a dual mission like uh, the two wings of a bird. And one of those wings is a critical wing. Um, the aim of the project is to hold the corporate media to account Great. when they fail to provide us the kind of um, news and perspective that we need to be um, you know, active in our communities and engaged as citizens. Yep. And the other wing is an affirmative wing um, where the project attempts to draw wider attention to uh, the great wealth of high-quality independent news reporting that we have access to now. So we need both of those wings, the critical uh, holding to account and the affirmative um, supporting the great independent uh, uh, journalism that we do have. We need both of those wings to be balanced and to fly. Yes, and, and, and so it, it, what you're talking about is a decades-long project that was started in 1976 by Dr. Carl Jensen. Is that correct, Andy? That, that's absolutely right. Yes. And interestingly enough, that, uh, you know, that uh, highlights one of the distinctive features of the project. Uh, Carl, um, who was at the time teaching uh, in communications and sociology at Sonoma State University in California, started the project when a student asked a question that he felt he didn't have an adequate answer to. And the question was roughly, how was it possible that Nixon, President Nixon was reelected in 1972 when uh, news of Watergate had been, uh, relatively speaking, available publicly for um, quite some time before then. And that set Carl off on um, uh, an endeavor that uh, a number of us have followed up on today, which is kind of tracking, well, what is it that the corporate media are providing us in, in the way of news or, or presenting to us as news? And to what extent does it inform us, uh, as I said, um, in ways that we need to be informed to be um, engaged citizens and community members. Now, Andy, what, what's a little bit about your background? What were you doing before you'd gotten involved with Project Censored? Well, I've been involved with the project for about 10 years ago, uh, 10 years now. Um, and, and before that, uh, my training, my background is as a sociologist, and in particular as a sociologist who's interested in how um, news stories are constructed. Um, and so, uh, and by that I mean, what are the social factors that shape the production of news? That sounds abstract, but it's, it includes everything from patterns of corporate ownership yeah. all the way down to at a kind of international level. Um, you know, how, what kind of questions do reporters ask uh, sources when they're seeking news? And how do those questions vary by... Uh, uh, you know, the journalist understanding of who those sources are. Is it a political insider? Is it a rebellious uh, outsider? Um, so all these things uh, come together, all these social factors come together to provide us the news that we get. And obviously that's deeply consequential for our lives. And, and uh, I think as we're facing up right now, uh, for whether we'll continue to have something like a democracy in the United States or not. Yeah, and by the time that reporter's question and then their answer gets to mass media, where the rest of us hear it, how much has it been filtered and has it been censored? Uh, yes. 
Andy, uh, Andy, uh, tell us in your view what what's the major the, the major stuff. Well, there's probably quite a few, but what's one of the major obstacles that we face in 2018 as far as like you're saying, holding on to that free speech? Well, I think a major one at this point is a matter of uh, uh, mobilization and engagement. That the more we hear about the news is fake or the news is just propaganda, and those are certain thing, thing, certainly uh, things that Project Censored tries to draw attention to, um, the more risk there is that people will simply disengage and they'll retreat into their kind of uh, inner circle of their immediate family and their household. And I think in terms of the powers that be, that's exactly the outcome uh, that uh, many powerful elites are seeking, uh, basically a disengaged and fragmented public. And so I think one of the most challenging things is to do uh, what my colleague and the former director of Project Censored, Peter Phillips, talks about doing all the time, which is cultivating an appreciation for and support for truly independent journalism. And by saying cultivating an appreciation for, I, I, I mean very concretely, like recognizing that there are alternatives to the corporate um, version of news, which by and large I think is designed to discourage and depress us. Uh, and that well there said. are, and that there are um, constructive versions of the news that you're much more likely to find when you look at alternative news sources, independent news sources. Andy, are you familiar with Tom Dispatch? Yes. Excellent. Okay, great. And and for listeners out there, uh, this is more of a, basically an introductory, uh, a very condensed version to familiarize uh, you with what with with Project Censored and what Andy is doing. Uh, we are now in discussions about bringing uh, Andy and, and and perhaps another individual with uh, with Project Censored uh, onto the excuse me onto the program for a a, a more uh, main segment. Uh, Andy. Uh, Parting words, maybe 30 seconds, um, some final thoughts uh, for listeners to take take away uh, with them this uh, this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would urge uh, people to check out the Project Censored website, projectcensored.org. And then in terms of, you know, the theme of fake news, which I mentioned a moment ago, we at the project are advocating a two-pronged approach to fighting fake news. Um, first... Um, We have to identify and fact check specific instances of things that are alleged to be fake news. And that's a kind of focus on the contents of the fake news or alleged fake news. And at at the second prong is to say we also need to be thinking on a more uh, macro level about the social and technological and cultural forces that give rise to fake news in the first place. And that's to focus on the contexts, the contexts of fake news. So thinking about fake news Uh, on multiple levels, the contents of it and the context in which it's produced and circulated are, I think, the answer and not instead, uh, and the answer is not to rely on Google or Facebook uh, or whoever else, another big technological company, or even for for that matter, government legislation to be kind of a big brother for us and protect us from the Russian propagandists or whoever else are spreading fake news. We really need to be um, invoking and engaging our own critical thinking skills um, along those two levels that I suggested. Beautiful. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Andy Lee Roth. Andy, I look forward to inviting you back on the program. That would be wonderful, Ian. Thank you. We 
have been very fortunate here, Winwood Radio, Discussions of Truth, and uh, we have received incredible guests that do do a number of things for us. But most importantly, what this program is aimed at doing. Now, Andy brought up some incredible points. And certainly, Discussions of Truth aims to do all, not many of those. But the point, if you if you look at the guests that have joined this program, and let's just let's just let's just seg- segregate for a moment. Charlotte Iserbit. Charlotte Iserbit. Who is she? Who is she, right? Who was she? Who is she? Former Reagan administration advisor. Very high level in the Reagan White House regarding the Department of Education. Her book. The deliberate dumbing down of Americans. You don't think you're dumbed down? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, right? I'm not, I'm not saying specifically that you've been dumbed down. But the, 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 what needs to be happening here is that you need to be questioning your government and your authority because you are the authority that's what is one that's that's one that's one way of dumbing the mass populace down so that they want big government they want big uncle sam to make their dinner every night you are nothing more than a cog in a wheel These people have been elected by you and they're working for you because they are you. So Project Censored, Andy Lee Roth, very fortunate to have Andy join the program. And he will be back on. Okay, now we're getting into politics. I don't take sides politically. And... I leave that to you. You want to take size politically, you take size politically. But the fact of the matter is, both parties succumb to the big dollar of the corporations. And it all ties in to the Federal Reserve. I'll be right back with our next guest, Patrick Andendahl. Thanks for tuning in to Winwood Raider. I am your host of Discussions of Truth every Wednesday. I'm right here at 5 p.m.
Yes, Metallica. That gets your juices flowing. It gets your juices flowing. It gets my juices flowing. Fires me up. Deliverance from Stupid Party Land. We have with us today author Patrick Endendahl. Patrick, are you with us? I'm with you. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us, Patrick. I understand uh, uh, that you are... Are you in New York? I am in New York, yes. And how's the weather for you up there? In New York, the weather is nice. Uh, we're right in the beginning of Halloween, where the swarms of kids come looking for every grain of sugar they can find. So hopefully there'll be no distractions. <laughs> okay, great. And you've got, uh, you've got some good treats for the tricks. You require tricks? I guess we do. If you call, if you know, I'm not so such a fan of Hershey's, but we have some of that too. Okay. <laughs> Are you more of a Cadbury's guy? What do you like? Real Cadbury's imported, not the fake stuff sold here. What's the difference? I, the, the, the Cadbury's in the U.S. is manufactured here. Is that in a Hershey's plant? Is that right? It's made by Hershey's. It's very disappointing. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I used to I used to like uh, uh, the English, the British flakes. Are you a fan of the flake? Yes, I am. And you can. And the good news for Americans is you can now get proper tea bags if you go to the supermarkets. As long as you buy PG tips or Yorkshire tea, you can get real tea. And you bring up the word Yorkshire. I'm a huge fan. I <laughs> stay on this subject too long, but I'm a big fan of Yorkshire pudding and roast beef. Yes, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully next week we'll get some. Well, Thanksgiving. So Patrick, uh, you you're used to cleaning up other people's messes. Is that right? I, I'm not sure if I'd describe it like that, but obviously I'm trying to explain the mess that we're in. I'm not sure I'm doing a great job of cleaning it up. <laughs> well, well, okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself. You, you, you've, uh, you've, you're a former uh, Lloyds, of, uh, Lloyds of London analyst. I'm a, um, I'm a multicultural type person with no massive allegiance to any one particular country. I, yes, I started my career sort of at Lloyds of London Reinsurance. And at that time, I had several jobs at one time. I was also ran a cleaning business, and I also worked on farms and stuff like that. Okay, now, um, now the cleaning business, you literally mean, because I've, you know, I've heard people refer to themselves as janitors, but they're, they're merely financial janitors, meaning they clean up other people's you know, mess. They no, get them into a profit. I, literally, I, no, literally, I would clean people's loos and offices. The same people, often the same people I visit as a, as a reinsurance broker. I would then take off my, uh, put on an overall and clean up their office. Okay. All right. So, um, all right. Keep, so, 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 so keep going here now. Uh, uh, what you're focusing on now is, uh, is, is the political mess that the, uh, that the United States has found themselves in. Correct. And what you know, what a stupid party refers to? Are you are you are you taking sides? Are you saying the Republicans are more stupid than the Democrats, or they're both stupid? Where where do you land there? I'm sort of, I'm, I'm taking sides, but by default, by accident, I just go where the facts lead me. You know, I came, I was a conservative back in England. And I was a fan of Margaret Thatcher, and at the time, you know, I think I still remain think what she did was fundamentally correct. But he had come over here as a fairly moderate-type conservative um, with, a, with a sort of fairly strong religious upbringing, not that I'm claiming to be religious myself. And I come here, and I'm just stunned by what I see. Um, there's just so there's virtually no left wing in this country. Even if you take Bernie Saunders, who's the supposed outlier on the left, I mean, yeah. he's not that aggressive by any sort of international standards. 
but you know, I what what really depressed me, I guess, was you know I tried to to help in the 2004 campaign, uh, and I got motivated because of the Iraq War, because by that time everybody should have understood in 2004 that the Iraq War, the second Iraq War was an illegal invasion based upon knowingly false information. And yet in 2004, I don't know, 65% of Republican voters still thought that Saddam Hussein was behind 9-11. So that level of <laughs> lack of information just stunned me. I went to Cleveland because I figured out that Cleveland would be the swing part of the whole country for the 2004 election. Unfortunately, Karl Rove had already figured that out too, and he got there at about the same time as I did, and he colluded with Ken Blackwell, the Secretary of State in Ohio, to make it very difficult for minorities to vote in those areas of Cleveland. And I saw that, I witnessed that, I saw the results, and it happened to be pouring with rain that night, and it was very, it was a tragedy. Right. So, okay. So, uh, now let's 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 talk a little bit about. Um Trump and and what I like uh, in your book now, of course, uh, I'm down in Miami. uh, Winwood Radio, we're based right here in the district of uh, Winwood in in Miami, and and you take you don't necessarily take a a a shot, but you bring up some of the connections that the Brayman Enterprise is involved with, and 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 historically, certainly, South Florida is uh, muddled with uh, (laughs) with. You got you got into an obscure part of the book when I barely remember. Well done. But, um, you know, I find it very ironic. I guess you're calling for Miami, which is probably the fastest sinking city in the the world. And yet Floridians vote for one senator and consistently governors. And I don't know how many congressmen who refuse to discuss the science of global warming. Right. Right. Absurd. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, it's it's absolutely it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like, you know, Miami, uh, it, 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 it doesn't have any backbone. I look, look. I yeah. Patrick, I don't have a go ahead. I don't have a, sorry, I don't have a particular beef against Brayman. I, you know, I just picked him. I've forgotten why I picked him. I, it was a, some formula I used because I was, um, I didn't want to cherry pick when I was um, analyzing old fossil philanthropy because um, I think that was, that was an important topic I needed to discuss before coming to my conclusions. Uh, and I happened to stumble upon him, and um, you know, it wasn't that I, I didn't do a hatchet job on Brayman. I don't think, but I did mention some points. Yeah, you've 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 you brought up a few a few different uh, a few different items, uh, you know, and 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 certainly Trump resides yeah an hour and a half north of uh, of Miami. How often well, I, he resides? I regard, I regard I regard West Palm, oh sorry, Palm Beach, as the worst place in America. <laughs> even even worse than Rodeo Drive. I don't know about that. I, I don't want to get down to zip code. <laughs> Okay, so what? What? what you, you, who? Who is Jeb? Is your previous book, and you you, you took a look at at uh, at Jeb Bush, and, and and the Bushes, you know, Bushes have a, a very strong uh, root that flows right right through uh, Miami Dade County. Uh, you know, Janet Reno, and and the Grams, they, they've got some strong affiliates through here, and uh, and certainly um, uh, 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 Key Saul. Uh, Key Saul is a, is a, is an island right off the coast of of, of Cuba that the that uh, that 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 family's owned for decades, and 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 it's I mean, it's, it's you use uh, certainly drill oil, but it's also it's also been used uh, speculatively as as a CIA CIA uh, uh, stepping stepping stone there. <laughs> oh, you're getting that's a fun subject. I look, I um, 
you know, I chose Jeb Bush sort of by accident. Uh, my first book, Stupid Party, Math of the Myth, um, you know, I looked at, you know, I, I looked at all the criticism and there was only one criticism that I took to heart in, about that book. And it was sort of an accidental criticism. And it came from Russ Baker, who's a, uh, a journalist. And um, he didn't like one sentence I'd written in, in the introduction of Stupid Party, Matthew Myth, where I had said something relatively neutral about George Bush Sr. And I just gave that a lot of thought, his criticism. I had lunch with him. And I re read his book, and I read a whole lot more. And I realized, you know, okay, it was a throwaway sentence, but it was careless. And I wanted to try and undo that mistake of mine. And I tried writing blogs, tried so hard for months. To try to, I tried to write something that held together. But however hard I tried, it just kept on imploding in upon itself. I, it, it would sound irrational, it would sound nutty, you know, and it just didn't hold together because it's such a complicated story. And then, I, so I gave up. But then when Jeb Bush ran, I realized, you know what, I can undo that error by using him as a sort of tool to analyze the Bush family going back to 1948 or even prior. So I used him really as a tool to undo a mistake that I'd made in my, a minor mistake that I'd made in my original book. And, you know, obviously much of that was information and research was fairly new to me. Um, and it was, it's a pretty stunning stuff. So George Bush Sr. is clearly the most Machiavellian politician ever produced by America. Okay, I, I, I like that. What do you think about his father, Prescott? Well, obviously, I wasn't that impressed by Prescott, and I, you know, without, I've got to be careful what I say to get my facts right, and sometimes as I wrote about it, but clearly he would have liked to overthrow the Roosevelt government, and he, they think they tried and replace it with a, with a fascist government. From, a, from, a, from an outsider standpoint, certainly, uh, how long have you lived in the United States? Since 1986 or so. From an outsider standpoint, uh, and of course, you know, we're, we're all speaking your language. Well, well, not all of us, but if you're understanding, if you're following along, then, you, then you're understanding, at least understanding uh, the language of the country that you represent, Patrick. Uh, uh, from an outsider standpoint, what uh, what is the what is the, ma the, the the biggest hurdle, the biggest obstacle for uh, facing Americans today? I think it's like maybe maybe it's fake news and whatever, but it, that's built upon uh, false equivalence. So a lot of people, you know, you know, either got Democrats, you got Republicans, you got people who say I don't like either party. It's those people in the middle that really drive me nuts to some extent because both parties are not the same. Uh, I do a, a, a chapter in my book about false equivalence, and I actually try and do it by the numbers. And the conclusion is, and you have to be a bit creative with the numbers, is that the Republicans lie. Their lies are 1,000% more voluminous. And I use the word voluminous for a purpose. You can, you can show that they lie 400% more often, but when you study the lies, and I studied, I studied the, lie, the supposed lies of both the, the, the Republicans and the, the lists of so-called Democratic lies, what you'll see is that Republican lies are far more dangerous, far more bigoted, based in racism and ignorance, whereas you know, the, the Democrat lies tend to be you know, more slightly more harmless. So, you know, people die as a result of ignorant opinions being expressed in the voting booth, whether that be a pro-life agenda, uh, whether it be not understanding the science of global warming, whether it be not understanding the difference between trickle-down or supply-side, uh, trickle-up or trickle-down economics, um, the, the, the impact of immigration on the economy, the, the notion of voter fraud and voter suppression. 
by being uh, the, the notion of healthcare and public uh, Obamacare and not understanding all of that, by having wrong opinions and all of that stuff, people die. Yeah. Do you do you do you think that um, there? Do you think that the? Do you think that your homeland uh, has their hands at all in the mechanics of this kind of machine, which is creating um, a dumbed-down American? Does that make I sense think, to you? I don't think I don't think Britain has a hand in that. But what I do write a chapter about Nigel Farage because. It's fascinating to look at him, who was leader of UK, but it's fascinating for both, both cultures to look at him from a multicultural standpoint. So Americans would, lo- alert, would learn a lot about what's going wrong by looking at Nigel Farage, as with the English, because the English are totally oblivious to what's been going on. And I see that, you know, Nigel Farage has basically been successful via Robert Mercer and other people in this country, Steve Bannon and all that. He's opened a portal of hate, of American hate, now flowing into the UK. Um, finance, as I say, by Robert Mercer, this billionaire guy who really just wants to destroy government. He's one of the intrinsic architects behind the, the, the Trump election. Um, so, you know, if you look at Nigel Farage, who even Brits don't know this, he's, you know, I researched him. Why was Nigel Farage a reasonably, you know, fairly somewhat respected politician in the UK? Why did he come over to Alabama and campaign for Roy Moore at a time when even Trump was not? campaigning for Roy Moore. So why would uh, Nigel Farage, who's not particularly religious, doesn't believe him, doesn't have a pro-life agenda and has some fairly sensible things about him, why the hell would he be in a one-issue place like Alabama where if you don't believe in, uh, if you're not a pro-life fundamentalist, you're going to hell and all sorts of other nonsense. Um, What was he doing there? So I, I investigated that in a chapter and, you know, you find all sorts of links between Farage, WikiLeaks, the Russian GRU, the KGB or whatever. Um, so the, there's a lot of insidious stuff going on there. And Farage has opened the door to some of the nuttery in the United States. And I don't think there's much nuttery coming into England, into America from England, but it's definitely flowing the other way. And that's very depressing. Are you familiar with the well, – you certainly must be familiar with the, with, with, with the Panama Papers. No, no. Are you talking about Jeb Bush? No, I, I, I'm. Are you going back to Jeb Bush now? No, I'm. I'm, I'm talking about. Um, you know, the British are brilliant bankers, are they not? What do you think? Well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I would say the city of London is the is a linchpin behind the British economy. Well, right, of course, of course. So, uh, what's your opinion? What do you know about the the city of London? What do you know? What do you know about that? I haven't written or researched it. Are we going into a globalist discussion? I sort of avoid globalist versus nativist or nationalist if I can. Yeah, that's fine. That, that's fine. I, I'm just I'm just trying to get into um, you know some of the the, the pieces of um, uh, what you, what you know what you may know. For I'm, instance, I'm, I'm, Nigel Farage. I'm perfectly familiar with all sorts of sort of conspiracy theories about you know World Bank is doing this or that. Uh, it's not. You know, it's not a road I choose to go down. For yeah. instance, when I wrote when I wrote the book book about the Bushes, the most difficult task ever was to avoid exploring too many conspiracy theories, or I would just touch on them tangentially because you will go insane. 
Yes, well, of course, there's, there's, so, many, there's so many different layers, of, of course. Um, but uh, a lot of this stuff, as you look into it, is, is not that theoretical. Um, and and, and the, the term conspiracy theory is used frivolously as a, as a, as a, I know. As a label. It's a tough word. Is it like the only conspiracy theory in the Kennedy assassination, if you're using it as a negative term, would, the, would be the totally absurd theory that Oswald acted alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what inspired you to write Stupid Party? Um, uh, you're an American citizen? No. Uh, okay, so, so, so what inspired you to write Stupid Party? Why, why, uh, why, 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 why care? You're, you're not voting. Uh, uh, what's, the, what's the engine there that drove that? Well, I guess I would like to become, an, I'd be perfectly fine becoming an American citizen the day it would becomes a force for good again. I'm not willing to yeah. change my citizenship while it's not a force for good. Yeah. So I'm not prepared to swear allegiance to a country. Look, I have a yeah. love cynic. I don't have a love-hate relationship with America. I have a love, very cynical relationship with America. I love many things about it, but I'm also very distressed by its politics. And and you, and and you you think the. The, certainly, the the Republican Party is the uh, is the the greatest well, threat. Well, that, that, that is a party that's promoting just numerous amounts of myth. I mean, voter fraud is is one obvious one. Yeah. Voter fraud, voter fraud is mathematically irrelevant. But if you and even Democrats, they're concerned by voter fraud. So the moment you become concerned by voter fraud, which is a totally unnecessary fear, then you start acquiescing to various forms of voter suppression. Now. In this, in, right. in England, in yep. England, you don't have any issues about gerrymandering, voter suppression, counting the votes. You never hear. You got. We have 660 MPs or whatever it is. Elections every few years. Yeah. You never hear an MP saying, "Oh my God, I got, I got done in because of this or that." It never happens. If you're an MP and you're not, you can what? You can watch the people. Counting the votes there, you can check the piles, you can do whatever you want, and if you want to recount, you can ask for recount as long as there's some logic behind it. There is never any issue. And, and the other thing is, there's a massive difference between an MP and a congressman. The congressman in the United States spend five and a half hours every day raising money. That means, it's very simple, they're only interested in the views of people who give them money. They're not remotely interested in the views of their constituents. In fact, they so far, they actually tell the constituents what to believe. So you've got a totally corrupted system in here where money buys everything. Money wins at the end of the day virtually every time. Yeah, it's very sad. It's, 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 it's very, 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 very sad. Uh, uh, would you say that uh, Trump, even though it's the electoral office that got him in and not the popular vote, and that's, that's why uh, you know, many Americans are outraged because, uh, because uh, Hillary got the, got the popular vote. Uh, well, yet- that's, you know, that's very upsetting, and you, know, you, you can question... I happen to believe that um, I don't want to go down any conspiracy theory about rigged this or that. Yeah, yeah, I'm, not yeah. saying, I'm not commenting on that. But what I will say is if you look at fake news and then build upon that the, um, the influence of foreign agents, the Ameri- and to be fair to the American public, to fair, and even to the British, we've suffered the same way in some, to some extent, there was no immunity to fake news and there was no immunity to, view, to foreign agents manipulating people's emotions. Hopefully that now we know that has happened, we will start building in procedures both within ourselves and within society to try and prevent us from falling from being manipulated. Because we're all being manipulated. And, we, the, and I go into the human. It's very easy to, to manipulate homo sapiens. We're not a rational species. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, what, what do you, what do you see? How can, how can, how can, how can the system here, the, the stupid party and, 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 um, what, what, what did you, why do you use that term? Um, and how do you see, uh, you know, the, well, I, I, I use the term cause Bobby Jindal coined it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, as I say, it's the Republican voters who are, really feeding and a feeding frenzy of just rotten disgusting news i mean and also the fundamentally got problems now obviously you have some of these issues you have racism in the democratic party don't get me wrong i mean i would estimate in 2008 that when obama i mean one of my big beefs about clinton when she took on obama in the primaries in 2008 she did not stand tall and tell racists to go to go take a hike if she'd done that in virginia and uh, not virginia if she'd done that in West Virginia and places like that, where probably one third of the Democratic voters had expressed the notion that they would never vote for a black guy, regardless of his policies. She should have stood tall and said, I don't want your vote. And if she'd done that, she could have won that election or she would have deserved to become president into a bit later. Um, but you know, two thirds of, I believe, Republican voters tend to be bigoted and two thirds of them are extremely ignorant. I mean, first of all, only 68% of Republicans believe in evolution, and that's one of my pet peeves. 65% believe that taxes on those greater than 400,000 will impact them. Um, uh, 69% do not do, do not accept global warming. 67% think Saddam Hussein was behind 9/11. 62% believe uh, more credit should go to Mitt Romney than Barack Obama for for snatching uh, Bin Laden. I mean, the the the, 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 the ignorance is utterly stunning. In your in your view, where does where does the current day Russia uh, play play into uh, a Trump White House? Well, that's I mean I I haven't written about this, so you're getting I'm getting slightly into opinions here. Okay. But there's no doubt in my mind that Putin or the KGB and now the GRU have had a file on Trump since around 1978, and he has to be the easiest person to turn because obviously, as we now, he was a lousy businessman, and you know he stole. His company, or his, and between him and his dad, they evaded $400 million of taxes. The New York Times just came out three, 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 three or four weeks ago. It's obviously a criminal organization. Um, so they've got all that stuff. And you also know it's really easy to get Trump to, to do something stupid. All you have to do is offer him, praise him, and say how wonderful he is, or <laughs> I'll build your hotel. And he'll be eating out of the palm of your hand. Um, so clearly, I'm no doubt about it that they, they have all the stuff on him, because there's, and there's a hell of a lot of stuff to have on him. Um, so, you know, Russian collusion is a huge issue. Putin's number one foreign policy priority is to remove the Magnitsky Act, which is a, was passed by the U.S. Senate 1982 under Obama. So it's about the only thing the Senate ever did under Obama that was sort of rem remotely progressive. So they knew without a shadow of a doubt what Putin's agenda really is. And his agenda, having he squashed the oligarchs who were rebelling against him, he had the show trial or whatever, and since then he's come up with a deal, like he'll take 50% of, of, the, of their profits. So that's what he cares about. That's what Putin cares about. And the Magnitsky Act is, to, is really about sanctioning those olig Russian oligarchs. So that's what's driving him nuts. And that's what this abortion, so-called abortion, not abortion, this uh, uh, when you uh, baby having kids coming to this country, what you, adoption. This whole adoption issue was just a, a mask for his effort to persuade Donald Trump to remove the Magnitsky Act. And obviously Donald Trump would have done it if the Senate hadn't stood tall. 
What do you think about a central bank? Uh, just just an off question there. What do you think about a central bank? I don't get into those sort of topics. <laughs> are you familiar, uh, Patrick, are you familiar with um, uh, uh, Dr. Anthony Sutton? Is actually a, a British, a British uh, former, uh, British citizen, former um, fellow at Stanford Hoover Institute. No, but again, I don't get into this issue of. And I have some people who follow me or whatever. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, want want me to go down this road somewhat, and you know, develop a more compassionate world, a new banking order. I just don't want to go down the road. I try and steer right down the middle. I try not to be polarizing. I try and avoid stuff where, which could be remotely fringe. And in spite of the fact that I've been quite critical of Trump voters, I'm critical about the whole, about myself in the book, about our lack of intelligence and our delusions and all the rest. Um, but I try and keep things where, if you look at my smart, smart party agenda, which is like towards the end of the book, which is what we need to do in terms of policy issues. Eighty yeah. percent of Americans would agree with the smart party agenda. So, and you have to ask yourself, why does the smart party agenda not have the slightest chance of getting through Congress? Because the Congress does not reflect the views of the public. If you take an issue that's polarizing, say, say gun control, and I don't, I'm not advocating for gun control one way or the other, but I do say the American gun culture is the most infantile gun culture in the world, but even if you take a, an odious organization like the NRA, 80% of our NRA members are willing to debate sensible gun control. But the NRA leadership is not a democratic organization at all, and they're not remotely interested in reflecting even the views of their own members. I mean, NRA members really should resign and join a different gun advocacy group. Yeah, that's that's very well said. And and uh, and, and I, think, I think that's, you know... That, I've had a number of guests on, um, and uh, former whistleblowers, whatever it may be, and uh, and I think that's that's the issue. As an American myself, I think that not enough Americans are taking the approach that you're taking, and that is, I'm not taking sides. I'm I'm listening well, to, ethically. Well, bear, 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 bear in mind, like I just want Americans to understand one thing about guns: that as a general rule. More guns does not equal more safety. And I think a lot of people are confused by that. They think, oh, I have a gun in my home. I can defend myself against this, this, and that. That's not what happens in reality. Having a gun in your home is a liability. Now, if you know what you're doing and you have gun practice and you do this, that, and the other, and you're pro, fair, and you go hunting or whatever, fair enough. I mean, I've handled guns in my, even in England, you know, I was in the school shooting team and all the rest. I don't, and I've done clay pigeon shooting. I don't want to kill, I don't want to kill live adjects, but you know, shooting target practice is fun. But, but you've got, Americans need to recognize in the vast majority of places, more guns does not equal more safety. Now, having said that, if I was living in the middle of Montana, I got some liberal guy saying, oh, you've got your gun. I would be very mad at that person. Leave me alone. What's your opinion on uh, Julian Assange? I, okay, this is interesting. Um, I, you, you didn't want to go down the opinion road, and I just threw one no, at you. No, Pardon no, me. No. I, I, and, I, and I do write about this, and I got a, when he originally, when WikiLeaks originally came out, I was all for it because um, most of the information that he redacted the sensitive stuff, and uh, it was it was just really fascinating to see what people in power were saying behind our backs. So the transparency was quite interesting, but I've now grown to be very upset with. Uh, WikiLeaks and Julian and Assange, because I think they are 
I think they're tools of GRU right now. I think they're tools of the Russians. Um, and he's been having these private meetings and privately helping Brexit and all the rest. He, had all, he was sort of colluding with Trump against Hillary in the emails. Uh, he's lost his objectivity. And I think, you know, he spent way too much time in a cave in this embassy. And I think he's growing long white hair and he's probably aging very rapidly. And uh, I think his mind is probably disintegrating, to be honest. So what's next for, for Patrick Andendahl? You've written Deliverance from Stupid Party Land. <laughs> no, Deliverance is written in such a fashion as to allow me to take a break. Because, <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff in it. Because I recognize that the Democrats were probably likely to do reasonably well in the, in the coming elections in a couple of weeks' time. And, you know, maybe people would like to chill and relax out if things go reasonably well for the Democrats. People might get a bit complacent. But I see this election as just a cycle within a cycle. The important thing for people to, step, to, to worry about and be concerned about is one, is one trend that I look at. You know, America, most people already decide America's democracy is suspect and we can call it an oligarchy. I'm not going to say whether I accept that or not, but I think that's the standard opinion. The trend you need to look at is the income discrepancy trends over the last 40 years. And, I, and again, I'm not against income discrepancy. I'm an orthodox, I, I pose as an orthodox capitalist. So I'm not against that, but you've got to look at the trends and you've got to then project those trends forward for the next 40, 25, 40 years. And you've got to ask yourself, if those trends continue, what happens to the American oligarchy? And I don't want to spell it out because I'd rather the penny drop because if you own the thought, you will believe it and act on it. But clearly, if you have, the, if you have all the money and fewer and fewer hands, political power and fewer and fewer hands, you have something a bit worse than an oligarchy. And, 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 and I think, okay, you, you brought up some, some really, really good points here. And uh, would you say, in your, in your opinion, uh, that the stupid party and perhaps uh, uh, various uh, principles that they, that they thrive on uh, inadvertently as they, you know, they want to strengthen America, they're simply uh, shrinking the middle class? Well, clearly, if you have income discrepancy trends going the way they are, the, 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 right now for the middle, the so-called middle class, and we'll get around to that terminology in a second. The so-called middle class has been stuck in time for thirty years. Yeah, they're the, you know, they're, 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 their income after inflation may have gone up by one or two percent. I don't have the number in front of me, but it's basically stuck in time. Um, and clearly, with the tax cut now that we have, I mean, I guess I'm not going to criticize or promote any tax policy. And the sure. way you judge a tax program is very simple. Does this tax program do something to mitigate income discrepancy trends? Now, the problem with the tax cut we just had right now, a year ago, was it's it's a it's a moderate is a it's a inefficiently stimulative package at a time when you already are going to be entering a reflationary area era. Now, the point is that if you give tax cuts to the um, wealthy, that's massively less stimulative to the economy than giving tax cuts to the less well-off. And the oligarchs should figure that out. If they wanted to improve the economy properly, you give, you give tax cuts to the less well-off because they're going to spend that money. And if you give it to the bottom 20% at the expense of the top 1%, that would be 700% more stimulative than trickle-down economics. And right now, of course, when, you, when, you, when you're inflating an economy, an over, a beginning to overheat economy, 
you run the risk of what happened in the, the, the Great Depression and now the Great Recession in 2008 repeating itself. But right now, if it did repeat itself, we're, a bit, we're going to be able to dig a hole because um, there isn't the cheap money that we had to get it. Cheap money got us out of 2008 by reducing interest rates to close to zero. That worked. Right now, that wouldn't necessarily work if, if you had the same meltdown happen today as happened in 2008. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's 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 inevitable. It's it's only going to happen. I it's think, only, yeah. I think is I think is inevitable that if you have if you I mean it's always unfettered capitalism that leads to these massive economic breakdowns. And what happens is that the taxpayer ends up bailing everybody out. Bailout is a slightly misconfusing word. I mean, two thousand eight, the taxpayers actually did quite well out of the deal because Obama is actually very smart. In, 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 in how he resolved the problem, in that he made taxpayers shareholders of the companies they were bailing out. So when those companies recovered, the taxpayers made windfall profits. Yeah, well said. Uh, great point. Um, now, uh, Patrick, uh, how, how, does, how, does, how, does, how does America, uh, you've written quite the, quite the book here, uh, you're going to pause. How, how does America, uh, listeners out there, uh, how does America, and certainly uh, it's an international audience, but those living in... Uh, how does it get out of this situation? Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. How does it get out? Yeah. I mean, I think they may be lucky. Uh, they may be a very undeserved salvation. Right now, one of the, um, the big problems, I mean, we all know that there's too much money in politics, and one of the solutions, obviously, is to have publicly financed campaigns. And Americans would agree with that, but they're not willing to foot the tab. Now, the tab is not as high as you'd be led to believe, especially for Republicans explaining the math, because they're going to overstate the math by several hundred percent. But you're going to have to spend money on publicly. And I'm not sure Americans are willing to do that right now. And they're, they're beaten around. They're, they're so busy worrying about fighting on really stupid issues that you can't really spend time to, talking about intelligent issues. So I'm, I'm a bit cynical about the American voters' ability to pull out of this nosedive into a fascist state. But having said that, there's some very interesting numbers occurring um, that do hold promise in the longer term. And that's why this book is actually takes us through 2025, so I don't have to keep updating everything every year. And the, the really fascinating trend that nobody is aware of that I'm aware of is that if you study the oligarchs, if you study the, the wealthiest 30 people in the country, if you look at those people in 1985, 85% of that wealth was controlled by what I'd call the old fossils, which is a short, short form for coal, oil, retail space, gambling, and all these stuff. And they tend to be fairly myopic in their notion of what is good for, for, for the world, which is basically what's good for me must be good for everyone else. That's the Coke Adelson type approach to life. Now, what's happening is those dynamics have trained, changed massively today, and they're going to carry on changing for the next seven years. So you're going to have a totally different type of wealth distribution, super wealth distribution, you know, the top 30 people. It's going to look very different in 2025 from what, what it looked like in 1985. And some of those people start out with fairly good intentions. They tend to be more, they're not middle, they're not from Kansas, they're from California. And they at least pay lip service, and I think they really do believe that, you know, what can we do to make mankind better? I mean, um, Bill Gates is already doing it. He's figured out, well, I'm not going to bother with America because they don't want the help. So, but he's doing more to alleviate world poverty than the United Nations by a big stretch because he's got a far bigger budget. Right. Yep. Um, him, and, him and Warren Buffett and co. But if these people can just turn their attention to the U.S., um, they could 
we they could actually maybe solve the problem down the road. I think some of my main candidates they don't they want they don't have they got other plans that are more important maybe than saving America right now because Americans as I say don't really deserve to be saved because this is a self-made problem. Well, well said, Patrick. You incredible words and comments. Uh, shift shift uh, in, for a moment to the UK. What 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 advice or what recommendation might you have for uh, for those well, in the UK? What I find very weird about the UK is I don't I can't come across a single politician that seems to be talking with any type of coherence at all. I mean, maybe the Liberal Democrats, which have only 30 MPs. They're the only ones who've shown any sort of intellectual stability and continuity. And I guess the question I would ask, I think they've all got it back to front, all three parties. And I think what they should be saying is, okay, we, we know that staying in Europe would be better for the economy. We all understand that. Not many people dispute that. And Europe also desperately would like the UK to stay because Europe is in danger of fracturing, which would obviously help the West... Allah, you know, the Western Alliance. Um, and obviously Putin's behind all of this stuff. And what they should ask themselves, and they should say, what do we need? We need to go to Europe and say, this is what we, we demand if you want us to stay. Instead of saying, this is what we, we must have to, to negotiate an exit, where they have no leverage at the end of the day. They would have leverage by saying, this is what we demand in order to stay. And they need to peg that demand so that around 75%, right now the English public's 50-50 split. When you, if you get the demand so it's like it would satisfy 70 to 75% of the country, that's what you go to Europe with. This is what we need, which will have something to do with immigration, but it's not just about immigration in the UK. It's, uh, it's about, you know, Europe is really irritating about a bunch of issues that, that, that step on the culture and trample on basic rights in many ways. So I can understand why they're mad, but this is what if we had some reforms, this is what we need to do. And you get, you secure some popular support in the UK for that idea, and then you go to Europe and you negotiate that way. That's what I'd like to see. I'm not seeing it. Excellent. Patrick, thank you for joining Winwood Radio and Discussion to Truth. Some final thoughts for listeners out there, some parting comments. Oh, for me? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, obviously, get out and vote. If you're in Florida... Get out and vote for the future of Florida. If you want Florida to have a a notable landmass 40 years down the road, (laughs) you know what you need to do. You need to vote for science. You need to vote for facts. You need to vote for people who are not racist, who are not supporting a white supremacist agenda. You need to vote for people who actually tell you the truth and believe in democracy. Excellent. Wonderful. Patrick, thank you very much once again. Really appreciate your time that you spent to write the book. And uh, do you have a website, uh, a way for, for, um, for uh, your books on Amazon, or a way for listeners to, uh, to go out and buy your book? Well, yeah, the website stupidpartyland.com. You can find my book under deliverance uh, from, you know, on Amazon. The, the concept is if you buy it, I'm not sure, I can't guarantee it will work. The concept is if you buy the print book, you get the ebook for free. I, it's designed as an ebook because now you can do all the fact checking. I don't make any statement really unless that cannot be fact-checked. If I do use an opinion, I will state it as an opinion. Excellent. Patrick, thank you for joining uh, Windward Radio. We look forward to your uh, next work, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy New York. Well, thank you very much for having me on your show. Patrick Andendahl, and as you say, and as he, and as he said, 
You can find his work at stupidpartyland.com. How to Eradicate the Destructive Forces Destroying American Democracy. That's the subtitle on the book. Deliverance from Stupid, stupid, stupid Party Land. How to Eradicate the Destructive Forces Destroying American de- Democracy. He didn't have light words. Didn't have light words. But that's exactly what Americans need. Okay, like you're basking in the sun. You have a massive military. But, <laughs> I mean, look... Your dollar hasn't gained value in decades. Right? You're swamped in debt. Now, he's he's certainly pointed fingers at the Republican Party in a sense. And that's great. I applaud that. He's willing to point fingers at the Democratic Party. Point fingers where fingers need to be pointed. If you listen to me before and you listen to the guests that I bring on, they question authority. They're questioning these massive corporations, the executives that lead these corporations and why they're doing what they're doing. Okay? And a tale on that. You'll know that Dr. Anthony Sutton the Englishman himself, spent time at the Stanford Hoover Fellow, delivered a, actually he delivered a speech to the Republican Convention, which held in Miami Beach in 1972. He gave some of his research at that convention that did not sit well with those in attendance. And as he returned to Palo Alto, he was reprimanded. He ended up walking away. Trying day. I'll be right back with some closing comments. This is Winwood Radio. I am your host. Discussion to Truth weekly at 5 o'clock.
Yes. Ian Trottier, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram. IanTrottier.com, I-N-T-R-O-T-T-I-E-R. Got some incredible guests that we've had on this program. Coming up on the two-year mark here. Two years here. Winwood Radio, we come at you 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Wednesday next week. Author and Temple University professor Joan Mellon. She's authored 22 books. Her newest work, Blood in the Water, argues that U.S. President, and I like looking behind us, Lyndon B. Johnson. Lyndon Baines Johnson ordered a hit on his own naval ship, even the USS Liberty. Is that a fact? We'll see what kind of dirt she's dug up. And, of course, November 21st, because we can, we'll be hosting Christopher Fulton. He has, excuse me, he was extradited and spent years in prison for his possession of physical evidence in JFK's assassination. Does that even, is that even important? Did the the guy sitting in the Oval Office call for the release of the JFK files? And they're now postponed to uh, release in 2021? Like I kind of opened up in the show. Hashtag fake news. Yes. Patrick couldn't have said it better. Americans, you need to get up and look into this crap. Because you're you're, 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 you're being flushed down a toilet. Of fascism. I believe that is the word he said. All he's trying to do is sound the alarm for you. He's merely trying to help you. Because at one point in time, there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of opportunity. There was a beacon of liberty, justice, freedom for all. So Fulton, he'll be on the show November 21st. Blood in the water next week. Coming at you, impeachmassmedia.com. Donate 50 bucks. Get a shirt. And until then, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard, every Wednesday, be awesome.